Hey guys, I'm Pastor Jason Shirley. I'm the associate pastor right here at Word of Life Church in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And I'm really excited that you have joined us today online. Just a couple of things. I want you to drop us a line if you're watching wherever in the world and let us know where you're watching from. We would love to hear from you. Second, if you want to partner with us today in a financial way, then you can give by texting 84321 and just text your amount, or you can go to our website, wolcarlsbad.com, and you can click the Give tab and give that way. The last thing today is that if you have any needs or anything like that that we can partner with you on, then drop us a line and send us that, and we're going to partner with you in prayer. I believe today is going to be a wonderful day. I want you to open up your heart to receive from the Word of God today, and always remember that God is madly in love with you. Let's get to the service. You know, who's up for a road trip with Jesus? Praise God. All right. About six of you are going to go, and the rest of you, uh, you know, you'll be jealous. Uh, but uh, anyway, you know, I was, I was thinking of this, um, you know, where, where is it that God wants to take us, and what is He wanting to do with us and through us as individuals and as a, as a church body. And, uh, you know, I was thinking of the old uh, children's song that, uh, you know, most of you sang as a kid. Uh, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And, uh, you know, how, how is it that we know Jesus loves us? How is it that we, you know, I always say this, that, you know, I don't read my Bible uh, to get God to love me, I read my Bible to know that He does. Praise God. And so, you know, that, that, that's a valid statement. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Uh, but how many unbelievers read the Bible? How, how many of you, before you came to Jesus, you were a Bible student? You, you were reading the Bible. Nobody. Nobody. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, there are some people that read the Bible. And a lot of times, they, you know, I know of, a, uh, of one individual that uh, was an investigative reporter, and he started reading the Bible to, to uh, he, he claimed to be an atheist. And he started reading the Bible, and it convinced him of the reality of Jesus, and he became a Christian. Uh, you know, but uh, those stories are few and far between. Most unbelievers, most unchurched people don't read the Bible. And so, with that in mind, how is an unbeliever going to know that Jesus loves them? And so I kind of modified that line in that song Jesus loves me, this I know, for my neighbor told me so. You see, that's what we're instructed to do, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so Jesus loves me, you're, you're, hopefully your neighbor can say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for my neighbor told me so, for my coworker told me so, so my aunt told me so, so my cousin told me so. So, you know, and, and, and whatever, whoever the people are that you rub shoulders with, it, you know, they need to hear it from us because they're probably not going to get it out of the Bible. And, uh, you know, 
our endeavor in all this is to change our mentality so that we begin to think different. You see, I've become convinced in the last couple of years that much of the church has had the wrong idea about what church is and what church is for and what, what, what our purpose is as a church. And, uh, you know, so uh, let's go into this in Luke chapter 14. And I, I ended with this, uh, this passage last week. And, and it says uh, in verse 23, Then the master said to that servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, thus the road trip. Go out of the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Now let me give you a synopsis because I don't want to go back into a lot of what we talked about last week. But uh, you know, this master, he prepared a feast and he said to his servants, he said, you know, invite all these people to come to the feast. And the people that were invited began to make excuses. And they began to say, well, I've got this going on. I've got that going on. Anybody heard, ever heard something like that? You know, you, people who are Christian people making excuses why they don't have time to participate in the things of God because they got too many other things going on. Now, I'm not going to question their Christianity. That's, that's not my place. I'm, I'm not going to do that. But what I'm saying is, you know, sometimes Christians can get so wrapped up in their own personal lives. We started talking about this when we started talking about the, the, the parable of the soil. Some was sown by the wayside, some, you know, and some on thorny ground, some on stony grounds, and there was some that was sown on good ground, some seed. And, uh, you know, we talked about that, and that those that... Uh, the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things entering in, choked out the word. And then here he says, this master prepared a feast. He invited people to the feast. They said, I don't have time to come to your feast. Please excuse me. Uh, you know, and, and then the master made this statement. He said, you go out into the highways and the hedges the in other words you go out and you find the lame and the and the sick and the broken and the blind and you find them and you bring them in because I want my house full and many times there are people that they've been making excuses 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 for why they can't be involved with the things of God you know, why they've got too much else going on. And God's saying, I want my house full. Go and find those. I don't care who they are. I don't care what they look like. I don't care where they came from. You go find those and you invite them to the feast. Let's fill the house. And then, you know, I, I'm finding this is a, a theme that God is wanting us to get a hold of. Let's go find those that maybe they haven't been invited Maybe the only reason they haven't come is because they haven't been invited. You know, and, and so uh, we've got to understand that the church, by and large, has missed the whole point of what the church is all about, what the church is for. And so we're re renewing our minds 
That means we're changing our thinking. And when you change your thinking, the Bible calls that repentance. So, if you're changing your mind today, you're repenting. Praise God. Praise God. And when you repent, now, now some have said, well, repentance is a change of behavior. No, repentance is a change of your mind, and a change of your mind affects your behavior. But it starts with a change of your mind. We've got to renew our minds. We've got to, to, to transform our thinking so that we think differently about what church is for. Praise God. Um, now, some have said, well, you know, the, the church, well, we ought to stick with the old tried and proven methods. You know, the, these things, they're, they're tried and true. And we shouldn't have anything new. We shouldn't have any new ideas. We shouldn't have, you know, what happened, you know, I, I could... I could sit here and argue with you for quite some time if, if I was so inclined to do so uh, about new versus old and traditions and, you know, and, and that kind of thing. But my point is that God is a creative God. He put his creative nature on the inside of us. And if he put his creative nature on the inside of us, then he expects us to be creative, Right? Wouldn't we be an imitator of God if we were creative? You know, and, and I, that's not really where I want to go today. But let me ask this question. Would it be acceptable? Don't answer it yet because I'm going to address it and your answer might change. Okay? So would it be acceptable for us to adapt our church service, now I'm talking about when the church comes and meets together. Some say, well, you know, we are the church. I agree with that. But that doesn't mean you don't need to go to church. You are the church, but there is a meeting of the church. And if you are a member of any kind of organization, if there are meetings of that organization, you ought to be there. You know, and, and, and so, uh, well, I, I, we are the church. Okay, I agree. You, we are the church, but the church meets on Sunday morning. Okay, so, but, but we have much more to do than just, see, really that came as a, as a counter to the old idea of I come to the meeting, so therefore, uh, you know, I've done my duty, and uh, you know that's that's all we do is as long as we come to the meeting. Well, it's, the meeting is the reason for the meeting is not the meeting. Do you get that? The reason for school is not to make you a student. The reason for school is to equip you for something after school. Something that comes later, after you get out of school. The, the whole purpose of school is not to make you a student. 
You become a student so that you are equipped and prepared for something after school is over. Praise God. You come to the meeting of the church to equip you and prepare you for something after the meeting is over. Praise God. Because, you know, the objective is not the meeting. The meeting is to get us to the objective and to equip us and to prepare us for the objective. So would it be acceptable if we were to adapt what we do for the unlearned and the unchurched and the people from the outside of the church, would that be okay? Would that be scripturally acceptable? Now, look at 1 Corinthians. I, I encourage you on your own. I don't have time to read all this this morning and to, to, to teach this in depth this morning. But, but let me just ask this question or, or, or encourage you to read 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter. The Apostle Paul has something, not, not right now, okay? Read it after the meeting's over, okay? Uh, you know, but First um, Corinthians, the 14th chapter. You see, some feel that it's, that they are out of place in church. Some people don't come to church because they feel out of place. Has anybody ever felt like when you came into a church service that you were out of place? Anybody ever felt like that? Maybe before you were a believer that you came into church and you just felt like, I'm not sure I belong here. And so, you know, one of the things is I, I believe that there is no such thing as a problem that doesn't have a solution. There's no such thing as a problem that doesn't have a solution. But sometimes we just, we look at the problem and we just quit. We don't even try to find a solution to the problem. But there are solutions to the problems that we face every day. There, anytime we look at a challenge, anytime we look at, a, at an obstacle, there is a, there's a way around the obstacle, a way over it, a way under it, you know. It, it, and there is a solution to every problem we face. But the church is not trying to find the solutions to the problem. The church is using the problem as an excuse. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse number 23, it says, Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say, You are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. Now, the Apostle Paul is addressing this situation or this, this uh, um, uh, idea of 
manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit within the church setting, within the, the, the meeting of the church. He's addressing that. And if you read that entire 14th chapter, you'll notice something. I, you know, I just recently, this, this just recently clicked for me. That, that, that all the way through that, he is addressing, adapting our meeting to accommodate those who are uninformed and those who are, are untaught and unlearned. Now, here we find uh, this word, he says, if one comes in that is, that is unlearned, or uh, uninformed, the, um, or an unbeliever, this word uninformed from the Greek is the word idiotes. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, it's because it's where we get our English word idiot. <laughs> so if, we could say it this way, so if an idiot comes into church... I, I'm just kidding. I, you know, it, it really means more than that. It, it, I mean, we hear idiot, we think of somebody that's stupid, that's a fool, that's, you know. Uh, and, uh, but it, it also has a not so abrasive meaning as well. It also can mean somebody that's just not informed. Somebody that just doesn't understand what's going on. Okay. So, you know, we're, we're not saying if you don't understand what's going on, you're an idiot. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, you know, I'm saying that, that maybe you're just unlearned about the practices. Maybe you're just uninformed about the practices. You're not familiar with them. You don't know what's going on. And many people come into church and they feel out of place in church. They, they feel like an idiot. But they feel like that. Because they just don't know. It's not that they're trying to be difficult. It's not that they're too dumb to understand. It's that they've never been taught. They don't know. How many know that church people have their own language? Yeah. <laughs> and I've illustrated this point like this, but I think I keep using it because I think it really makes the point well. You know, when somebody comes in and, and we, we use the term, most Christians understand what this means. But if I were to say, well, are you washed in the blood? It's an old song saying, are you washed in the blood? And, you know, we, we take that phrase, Christians, we understand what that means, that the blood of Jesus has, was sacrificed for our sins and, and, and paid for our sins. And all. But an unlearned person that doesn't know what that means, they think, so what do these people do? They bathe in blood or what? You know? And they think, you're the idiot. And so, you know, is it okay that we find different terms to mean the same thing? 
Something that, so, so that they could comprehend, so they could understand. I preached in, in, in a penitentiary in the Philippines one time, and they told me, don't say born again. And there was a reason, because there was a, there was a cult in the Philippines called the born-agains. They said, so if you use the term born again, they're going to think you're part of that cult. And so Jesus said, you must be born again. Oh, Jesus said, you must join this cult. And that's what the way that their mind was going to connect with that. It wasn't that there was something wrong with the term born again. It comes right out of the Bible. But it is the misunderstanding of what that term means. And sometimes there are things we say in church and things we do in church that a person who is uninformed, that is unlearned, doesn't understand what we're talking about or what we're doing. And therefore, they feel out of place. And honestly, a whole lot of the church has been too stubborn to do anything different. Well, bless God, this is the way we do it, and this is the right way, and we've been doing it this way for 500 years, and we're going to keep on doing it this way, and they'll just have to adapt to us. But if you read the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, you'll find that the Apostle Paul says you need to adapt to them. What about speaking with tongues? Do we believe in speaking with tongues? Yes, we believe in speaking with tongues. But Paul says, if we all come together and we all just start speaking with tongues and somebody comes in that don't know what's going on, that, that has no idea of this, they're going to say, you're all crazy. I'm done with this church. I'm out of here. I won't be back. Appreciate the invitation, but I won't be back. Because did we do something that was wrong, something that was unbiblical? No, we did something that was very biblical. But they didn't understand it. And Paul says, I would rather that you prophesy because they can understand than to speak with tongues because they have no idea what you're saying. He says, if I speak with an unknown tongue and one enters in that is unformed, they're going to say, you're mad. You, you people are crazy. Paul says, he says, I, I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, now by that phrase, when he says yet in the church, he is saying, I speak with tongues more than you all in my private time with the Lord. Now, he's not saying don't speak with tongues in, in, in the congregation because otherwise he wouldn't give us any instructions for that. He would just say don't do it. You know, but he gives us some instructions as to how that ought to operate. He says if you do this, if you speak with tongues, make sure that there is an interpretation to that so that it can be understood. I don't have to interpret everything I say between me and the Lord. When I speak in an unknown tongue, the Bible says my spirit prays. So I speak divine mysteries. Well, they're not mysteries to God. 
And when I speak in an unknown tongue, my spirit is praying, is communicating. He says he speaks to God, not to men. So Paul is saying it is more important in the church gathering, in the assembly of the people of God, in the meeting. He said it's more important that you speak to men than to speak to God. Hmm. That almost sounds like Paul was blaspheming, doesn't it? To the way some of us think. It's more important that you speak to men than to God. Now, if you read 1 Corinthians 14 and you can't see that, then so be it. But, you know, that's what he's telling us. It's more important that in the corporate gathering of the body of Christ, it is more important to speak to men than to speak to God. Speak to God in your private time with the Lord. Now, what that means is you have to have a private time with the Lord. That means you've you got to talk to the Lord in private between you and Him. And see, if you'll speak with tongues, if you'll follow Paul's example, speak with tongues more than you all in your private time, then you'll have something to say to men in your uh, public time. That was really, really good. I got one amen on that. If you'll speak to the Lord more in your private time, If you'll speak with tongues in your private time, then you'll have more to say in public to men. I said it better the first time, but but you get the idea. You know, if I'll take time and, and spend with the Lord, speaking to the Lord in private, then he will fill me up with something that I can say to men when I'm in public. Praise God. Praise God. Now, in verse number one, so confirm all that with Scripture, okay? That's what I'm going to do. Verse one of the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Many have that backwards. They're desiring spiritual gifts or pursuing spiritual gifts and desiring love. But he says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And now he tells you why, especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So if the objective was to speak to God, he would tell us, especially that you speak with tongues. But that's not what he said. He said, especially that you may prophesy. If the objective was to speak to God, he would tell you, then go ahead and speak in tongues and speak to God. He said, no, the objective, when you come together in the corporate setting, he said, the objective is to speak to men. Praise God. 
For he who speaks in the tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies, and remember, prophecy was to be preferred uh, in the corporate setting, was to be preferred to speaking with tongues. Now, he who prophesies speaks edification exhortation and comfort to men. So he said, it's to be preferred because of what you're speaking to men. Praise God. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. This is why prophecy is to be preferred didn't say exclusive. In fact, he makes it clear. Don't say, Pastor Daniel says we can't speak in tongues in church anymore. That's not what I said. It's not what I said. We're not going to come and just speak with tongues all day. We're going to come and we're going to speak to men. And if I'm speaking in tongues, I'm not speaking to men. I'm speaking to God. Praise God. Then he says, I wish you all spoke with tongues. But even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues unless. Now, here's the unless. Here's the exception to that. It's what he's telling us. Unless means there's an exception. Here's the exception. Unless, indeed, he interprets that the church may receive edification. He's saying the whole thing is about speaking to men when you're in the corporate setting. Praise God. Now, we've got to keep the objective in mind. Read the, uh, well, I told you to read the whole chapter. I was going to say read verses 23 through 25. Uh, but really, I told you to read the whole thing, so you'll get 23 through 25 in that. All right? But the objective is this. When you come together as a corporate body... He's saying there, if one comes in that doesn't understand what this is all about, it is okay that you do things to make them feel more comfortable. Yet much of the church has had this attitude, we're going to do what we do. They can come in and they can like it and join us, or they can lump it and leave it. And most of them leave it. We're going to try to adapt. Well, we, we don't want to be men pleasers. Now, that's a dirty word among church people. We don't want to be men pleasers. We want to be God pleasers. But my Bible tells me that even Jesus didn't please himself. The Apostle Paul 
You see, there's an aspect of pleasing God, and there's an aspect of pleasing men. And we don't, when I, when I say that, we don't mean that we start sinning so sinners will feel comfortable. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about our ways and methods, you know. If there's an obstacle, instead of just saying, oh, well, there's, a, there's an obstacle. No, let's find out how to get past the obstacle. The obstacle shouldn't be with us, but sometimes there is an obstacle with unlearned and uninformed and outsiders. There's an obstacle sometimes to them being able to receive. So let's make it our objective. Let's find out how to get past the obstacle. Let's find out what the obstacle is. If there's an obstacle, if there is something that, that we are doing, something that we're practicing, some way that we're doing things, some method that we have incorporated, let, let's find out what it is that is an obstacle to them coming in and, 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 and feeling welcomed. Sometimes we need to listen to what people are saying instead of just criticizing what they're saying. If you listen to people, they'll tell you what the obstacle is. We need to learn to listen, be swift to hear, slow to speak. That's what James said. Swift to hear, slow to speak. Sometimes we need to listen and find out what the obstacle is so then we know how to get past the obstacle. We're not saying we've got it all together and we've removed all the obstacles. No. We, we haven't. But we need to constantly be attentive to what people are saying so that we know what we need to do to remove the obstacle for them. It shouldn't be an obstacle for us. Usually, the only obstacle for us is our bullhead. We need to listen so we can remove the obstacle for them. Praise God. Say, Pastor, why do we do, why, why have things changed? You know, I remember I attended this church 15 years ago, and it wasn't like this. You're right, it wasn't. Why is that? It's because we learned some things. Praise God. Well, you know, I used to come here, and you used to do this, and you used to do that, and why, why'd you quit doing it? I liked it when you did that. I also had somebody tell me one time that they didn't like it when the church started growing. I, I'm sorry, but, you know, that's what we're here for is to grow the church. And if you don't like it because the church started growing, I, I can't help you there. That's, that's an obstacle I, I can't remove. We, we want the church to grow. Praise God. You know, if you liked it when... Uh, there was 25 people 
then, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there's, there's a congregation of 25 people somewhere that they probably won't like it when you come because then there'll be 26. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying, that, that uh, you know, we want to remove the obstacles so that we can grow. And I know that right now, you know, we don't have our full congregation because some are not ready to come back, and that's okay. That's all right. No, no pressure from here. And I hope you don't feel any. But I don't plan on us being in this situation forever. God's bringing us out of this. We're going to come out the other side of it. And I want us to be ready when we, why are you talking about this now? There's nothing we can do about it right now. Well, we're not staying here. We're on a road trip. We're going somewhere. We're moving beyond here and now. And I have to stop because some of you want to move on out of here and have lunch. But, you know, this is just so much on my heart that when we come out the other side of this, we got to be ready to go. You know, think, think of this. Maybe the reason we've been in this as long as we have is because we're not ready to come out the other side. Maybe we hadn't done anything to get ready to go out the other side. I, one thing I know for sure is God doesn't want us to come out the other side just like we went in. Praise God. And so maybe the reason we're still in this is because we haven't done anything to get ready to go out the other side of it yet. Just a thought. If you're in this room today or if you're joining me online and you have never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you see, everything we do, I, I like a, a saying that the late Reinhard Bonnke used to say, plundering hell and populating heaven. Plundering hell and populating heaven. You see, our objective... Somebody accused me one time of trying to send people to hell. My goodness, that is the exact opposite of what I do. I've given my life to keeping people out of hell. And if there's anything I can do to keep people out of hell, I'll do it. And so today... If you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I must say this, that hell is real, and people who die without knowing Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, they will go there. I don't like that. I wish it wasn't true, but it is. And the reason I tell you that is not to try to tell you, not, not to send you there. The reason I tell you that is so that you'll make the decision to not go there. 
How do you do that? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. He's the only way. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Why did I tell you he's the only way? Because he's the only way. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And if you do that, you will not go to hell. Praise God. So right now, if you'll say this after me. Say, God in heaven. I want everybody to say this. Say, God in heaven. I thank you that you loved me enough that you sent your son Jesus to this earth to die on a cross. And he paid the penalty for all of my sins. And then he was raised from the dead so that I could have new life. Right now, I choose to trust Jesus and what he did for my salvation. And I invite Jesus into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Thank you once again for joining us today online. We value you and we want to hear from you. If you made a decision for Christ today, you can select I Choose Jesus on our website. And we've got a couple videos for you to watch so that you can get started on your walk with God. We've also got a free ebook that you can download right from our website called I Choose Jesus. And I want to encourage you to do that. Once again, thank you for joining us and remember that God is madly in love.